Hey everyone, welcome back to the AirPod, your one-stop shop for all things royal. I'm Maggie Ruley, and um, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me because Omid actually let me do the intro this week. And I, what do you think, Omid? Was it a success? Listen, this is coming How'd from I someone do? that literally leads half of the top stories coming out of ABC News in, in Europe. I think you're, you're fine. <laughs> but this is what makes me nervous. Maybe I should do it again. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the AirPod. Was that better? Now you're showing me up. <laughs> welcome to the AirPod. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. It's good to be with you. It's Friday. That means we've got a whole new list of royal news and analysis to get through this week. And just as the week started out, Maggie, I kind of felt like there may not be much going on. And as and usual, as I was proven completely <laughs> wrong. Um, this episode, we're going to be delving deep into the annual financial report from Buckingham Palace, which, listen, sounds very boring from the outside, but inside, a lot of gems buried, a lot of things to talk about. It's obviously a very controversial report because, of course, much of this money comes from the British taxpayers to support the royals and their professional endeavours. So we'll be talking about that. Of course, Harry and Meghan found themselves in their own controversy this week when the British press uh, got sort of stirred up into a tizzy, I would say, (laughs) over their comments uh, on the upcoming US election. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about that and hearing uh, those comments for ourselves. And later on, we'll be looking at Prince Charles and Prince William, both of whom have launched landmark climate change-based projects in the world of television. Seems like everyone's getting in on that right now. But before we get into that, Maggie, we've got good news this week. Something to celebrate. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, you already know. But Princess Eugenie (laughs) is pregnant with her first child. So big congratulations from us. Major congratulations. It was exciting when I saw that headline, another royal baby. Absolutely. Due quite soon by the looks of it. We had the statement from Buckingham Palace uh, just before we started to record this show. They say Her Royal Highness Princess Eugenie and Mr Jack Brooksbank are very pleased to announce that they're expecting a baby in early 2021. And they say that the couple have shared... Exactly. They say the couple have shared the news with the Queen and Prince Philip, who are both delighted with the news. Oh, that's great. I like you know, a little bit of um, happiness during this time where we're not getting quite so much to celebrate. So that's awesome. Exactly. It's part of the pandemic baby boom, I would I say. I have so many friends that have been telling me they're pregnant now. She is. She's going to be part of the baby boom. I think it's the first <laughs> of many, Omid. And it was sweet. Uh, Eugenie shared the news herself on her Instagram account. She said, Jack and I are so excited for early 2021 alongside the baby emoji. And it was a picture of both of them holding a pair of little teddy bear shaped uh, that was baby really slippers sweet. which was I have very to say, cute those little slippers did get, <laughs> get an awe for me when i saw that pop up on instagram absolutely kind of reminded me of when we had uh, one of those first pictures of archie from the sussexes on oh, their instagram yeah. account it was his little foot you got to imagine how much pressure and planning goes into a baby announcement these days on instagram for a member of the royal family it's not your typical let me just post a photo of my bump and call it a day i'm sure that had you know a lot of people analyzing what it was going to look like exactly i am still waiting for the day that we have our first royal tiktok account I oh think it's got to happen at some point who would be the first usually... i hope it's the queen Listen, if Eugenie is listening, that is the yeah. best place to do a gender reveal. I'm all for it. <laughs> I would watch that. I would definitely watch that. 
Maggie, before we move on, I've got to ask how you're doing, because you've been out and about this week, um, including on a cruise, which I, to me I was seems gonna like say, the believe it scariest or not. thing to do right now. But... <laughs> I know, I was on a cruise ship this week, which seems like another world. When I first got that assignment, Omen, I think I called you and I was like, I am terrified to go on this cruise right now. I mean, because we cover so many virus outbreaks on ships and you know I covered them in the beginning of this pandemic whether it was Diamond Princess or some of the other cruise ships that got stranded at sea so I was somewhat terrified but I have to tell you that it it kind of blew me away the organization of this ship because um, I think when you called and asked me about it you were like I couldn't even recognize where you were I mean everyone there looked like they were kind of having a regular cruise um, but then when you look closer you see all the safety precautions so you know every single person had to get tested before they went on board Everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was social distancing. They took it really, really seriously, all the safety precautions. So um, my favorite visual image to describe is like it was still a cruise. So there were people beach uh, poolside in their bikinis doing this dance class that was being organized by the cruise company. Um, But they were doing it all in their masks, socially distanced as well. So if that doesn't sum up like cruising in 2020, I'm not sure what does. Wow. And of course, this took off from a port in Italy. And so they go around the world. You know, so right now it only goes through Italy. So it's a seven-night cruise that starts in Genoa, ends in Genoa. We got off after two days in Naples. But what's really, you know, kind of uh, interesting about that is that you think about Italy. They were hit so hard. The country in Europe that was really, you know, hit hardest by this pandemic at first. And so the fact that they're a country that's doing so well right now and launching a cruise, it's kind of unthinkable. Absolutely. I mean, it's great to see the tourism business sort of finding its feet again in these times. Of course, we here in the UK are sort of heading uh, what looks like back into a sort of second wave Mm. of sorts. Um, But that is a ray of hope, I think, to see things returning to normal. Um, But of course, I think for many, we are reflecting on the impact of COVID-19. And I think that that couldn't have been more clear this week when we had the news of the sovereign grant report from Mm. Buckingham Palace. This is the annual sort of financial report. It's a look at the accounts of all the public spending uh, made by the royal family uh, in the last financial year. So that goes up to March 31st this year. And whilst we were looking back on the figures, um, this was all briefed to press uh, a day before the information was revealed um, in the papers and across uh, news organisations around the world today. Um, But the focus really was on the impact of the coronavirus on the British royal family. Because of course, alongside the sovereign grants, which I'll get into, Um, in a little bit, uh, the money that the royal family spend on their professional endeavours, their charitable work, the travel that goes into that and all the other costs uh, to keep uh, these sort of working palaces going, a lot of that comes from tourism, which has been massively impacted. And uh, the Queen's treasurer, Sir Michael Steen, told press that uh, the Queen's looking to lose over 6.3 million a year for at least the next three years due to the pandemic, which is a huge loss when you think of how much money it costs to put on royal tours and so on. You know, it's kind of incredible. You don't often think of that. I think we all know that uh, across the board, people are taking an economic hit right now, some more severely than others. Uh, 
but I never would have necessarily thought to include the royal family uh, in you know the stories uh, of the economy right now. But you're right, especially with tours. I mean, I think how many people normally would take tours of the palaces or you know show up from all around the world just to see Buckingham Palace, and that's just not happening anymore. So, in in some ways, you know, obviously it affects them much differently because they're quite well off. But um, the royal family's finances are also taking a hit. Absolutely. Well, of course, the Queen, uh, as, as she long has, continues to receive the same uh, $110 million from the Sovereign Grant, and that will continue next year despite the loss in profits. Uh, the mm. British government will actually top up um, any losses to ensure that she receives, she and the family receive the f- same amount, and that money goes, to, goes towards official duties and the ongoing refurbishment of Buckingham Palace, which is coming up to close to, I think, half a billion dollars in costs. Uh, But uh, so this public allowance, you know, what is the sovereign grant? I hear many people asking and I've questioned it myself many times in the past. I'm one of those people asking. I was like, Omid, explain this to me. (laughs) It's made up of profits from the Crown Estate, which is the property empire that the Queen uh, doesn't technically own, but sort of belongs to the royal family. A percentage of those profits uh, goes back to the royal family. The rest go to the government and then the British taxpayer also contributes to that and that is how we find that sum of 86.3 million pounds or 110 million dollars that the Queen gets. And the Queen typically supplements the sovereign grant with income from the Royal Collection Trust and the Royal Collection Trust looks after the occupied palaces in the UK and uh, is in charge for the tourism that comes with that. So now unfortunately the RCT has had quite a difficult year as many have due to the pandemic in the world of tourism and many redundancies have already taken place within that uh, sort of department of the royal household. Um, But the royal family do say that they are not going to uh, ask for extra funding and are looking at their own ways to manage the impact through their own efforts and efficiencies. So that's a real sort of purse tightening um, at the end of the of Buckingham Palace, which I think is exactly what the nation needs to hear right now, because it would look really nothing... bad if they were asking for more. <laughs> exactly, there is nothing more controversial, I think, than talk about how much the royal family cost, and mm. we'll get into some of those costs shortly, because there are a few eye-raising additions to this year's accounts. Um, but of course. This essentially does keep the monarchy moving. It's how they carry out the number of engagements they do every year. I think it was 3,200 royal engagements that took place in the UK Mm. and abroad in the last financial year. And there are costs that are going to come with that, and quite rightly so. Um, But at the same time, there are many costs which I think has left some scratching their heads. um, Yeah, this is what's fascinating, Obed, and we started to to see some of these reports coming out, and I know you've done tons of reporting on this. Um, When you dig into the financials and start looking at the stories that they hide, I mean, they're incredible. Absolutely. Well, I think the one that has really... um, probably caused much of the conversation today was the revelation that Prince Andrew chartered a $20,000 flight to Northern Ireland for the Open Golf Championship. And this was to watch uh, one day of golfing uh, for himself in September 2019. And of course, this took took place two months before he was forced to stand down from his royal duties. But controversially, after the FBI had started to request uh, the royal to cooperate with their investigation on his friend, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, 
Now, Palace Source refused to sort of be drawn into a deep discussion about this, but did say that this was the only way they could have got Andrew to the golf club for the one-day engagement and that he was <laughs> a patron of that golf club at the time. But the question, I guess, to be asked is, you know, it, it goes back to the conversations that we already have about Prince Andrew, was that the support that he did receive up until the public put the pressure on for him to s- step down from his royal duties after that disastrous Newsnight mm-hmm. interview about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. We had a trip to Rome for Princess Anne, uh, costing, again, $20,000 to charter a private jet so she could watch a rugby match. Uh, and now this is despite dozens of commercial flights being available that day. So I think there are some things here that people have very much a right to ask whether these were actually necessary spends, you know, at a time when we really are thinking about our own finances and the British taxpayer more so than anyone. Um, it's, I think it's, it's well within their reasons to, to, to ask such a question. We make a good point. I think there's probably always a lot of head scratching when this report comes out because, you know, I'm sure every year there's these what seem like outlandish expenses that pop up. But this year in particular, when you do have so many people that are struggling just to make ends meet and make next month's rent, and then all of a sudden they find out their taxpayer money is going to send someone to a rugby match. I mean, that's going to cause some questions. And then on top Mm. of that, you find out, you know, who that person is. If you're talking about sending Prince Andrew somewhere and after all of the allegations that he has been thrown, that have thrown his way, after all the controversy that surrounded him, the fact that, you know, he's been called out by the royal family, it it seems kind of ridiculous that he's still being able to spend so much money um, that taxpayers are, are giving. Absolutely. Now, of course, a lot of the travel that members of the royal family does uh, really is for a fantastic cause. Not only does it highlight many charitable organisations and initiatives, but it also puts the UK on a very important world stage. And we only need to look at, say, the success of William and Kate's uh, five-day trip to Pakistan. Um, Now, the the accounts do reveal that that was almost $150,000 in travel. Um, But when you look at the press that came with that, one can argue that it was money well spent. Uh, Equally, for the Sussexes, their 14-flight tour of Southern Africa, which took place over 10 days, um, was actually the most expensive royal trip last year. Uh, costing $312,000 in uh, travel expenses. But again, you have to remember that this trip wasn't just for the Sussexes uh, to promote their own work. It was also on the request of the British Foreign Office uh, just uh, weeks, really, before a number of African nations signed a post-Brexit trade deal with the UK. So there's always this sort of soft politics that comes with trips like this. And, uh, you know, whilst the royals are technically picking up the costs, uh, much of the time those trips do come at the request of the British government themselves. So here's a question for you, Omid. You can help, you know, I'm the American in the group, clearly. So (laughs) sometimes it's it's difficult for me to understand these types of things. So would a way to compare to the states would be similar to um, almost a politician going on a trip at the request of the, the government? And in the same way, the royals are going on a trip at the request of the foreign office And in both cases, the taxpayer would pay for those trips because in theory, they're supposed to be for sort of the greater good of the country. Absolutely. And I think that's why there is always this question over what was necessary and what wasn't. I think when you talk about a trip to Pakistan for the Cambridges or a trip to Southern Africa 
for the Sussexes, one can see the importance and the impact that comes with trips like that. You know, one of the reasons that the Sussexes were on that Southern Africa tour, or the reason that Harry was in Angola, was not only to uh, sort of continue the, the work on landmines that his mother had started, but also uh, there is this sort of soft encouragement for Angola uh, to return or join the Commonwealth, which again is another one of those sort of like, uh, sort of quieter reasons behind trips such as these. Um, at the same time, within this, uh, within the royal uh, accounts that we get to sort of pour over for a good day before they are made officially public, um, there is also details about money spent on property. Now that's renovating property or any livable property for working members of the royal family. You'll remember the controversy over how much was spent on Frogmore Cottage for the Sussexes. Yes. That was just over three million dollars on renovations, and it was uh, something that every royal family member has sort of uh, had the privilege of receiving when they've been gifted property by the Queen or where they take up an official residence somewhere. Um, but I think. E Interestingly, in this year's report, um, and I haven't really seen this discussed in great detail, was that uh, as further, $762,000 has been spent on renovating a new home for the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, which brings the latest for modernising their new home at Kensington Palace to $1.3 million. So again, the question there is like, was this something that was necessary? Because the Gloucesters actually already live at Kensington Palace. They live at apartment one and they're moving from apartment one, 350 metres across the estate to the old stables that are being renovated. Now, the argument there is that they needed a smaller property and that apartment one was too expensive to run for essentially two individuals. They are working members of the royal family, but the Duke of Gloucester is 27th in line to the throne. So 1.3 million dollars is actually a very high amount when you think of the amount of controversy that was uh, sort of surrounded the Sussexes on that three million spent on Frogmore. You know when you look at the comparisons it's interesting and that's why it is it, on one hand great that they're all made public like this because um I don't think, honestly, I even realized how common it was to spend that much money on renovations. Now, you can argue maybe people shouldn't be, um, but clearly sort of across the board, it's something that everyone's been doing for quite some time. Are you telling me you can't relate to renovating your home for one Oh, I mean, in a dream world, I would love a couple million to renovate my flat. Oh, <laughs> I would add an extension, a new balcony, blow out my kitchen wall, get a new Absolutely. fridge. <laughs> now, interestingly, this report uh, covers accounts up to March 31st, um, but there are many things that are not included in there. And that includes any trips costing less than $19,000, um, which sounds acceptable but actually uh, when you look at the amount of trips that cost less than $19,000 we then have a grand total of 3.5 million dollars worth of those trips oh, wow. so it's much harder and this is <laughs> helicopters trains chartered cars etc oh. um, we also don't include security costs in this now the royal mm. family keep that information private for obvious security reasons because when you start sharing information like that with the world you then have a better understanding of what kind of protection is involved mm. in looking after members of the royal family but that in itself is believed to cost uh, the taxpayer uh, well over 127 million dollars a year and of course the palace won't comment on that mm. 
So I think it's, you know, it, I, I think nothing will change moving on from this point. It's always great that these are out in the open and that we have healthy conversation about it. Um, but and, and I think it, it, it does put pressure on the royal family to constantly prove their relevancy and their worth. You know, yeah, they're sort of fighting yeah. for that every it's year. It's also interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that there were so there were, you know, there were fewer trips this year after coronavirus hit. So it's a surprising that. It's still so expensive. Oh, or wait, will those trips be counted next year? I'm just realizing my, my year math might be off. March 31st, it covers. So we were just okay. going into the uh, yeah. lockdown at that point. In fact, it does include a trip that Prince Charles took uh, from uh, the England to Scotland just before going into lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think that's one thing that is worth taking into account is although this... Uh, will see them this period will see them lose a, a, a number of hang on. I think it's one thing to take into account is that although they will lose money from this sharp decline of tourism due to the pandemic we also don't see royals moving around in the way that they are yeah. there are no royal yeah. tours on the horizon there is nothing Zoom scheduled. calls are pretty cheap <laughs> Exactly. You know, as, 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 we've, as we've been talking about for the past few months, you know, every engagement has either been very local or it's been over Zoom. And I don't think that will change for some time. So there are ways to recoup that. And I wonder if then we may have conversations about whether it's worth sticking to that kind of working model moving forward and really only spending money on travel when absolutely essential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably for them and for a lot of companies might be feeling that way. Yes, tightening the purse strings uh, across the board. Uh, Now, after the break, we'll be talking about the Sussexes and their comments on the upcoming US election and why the UK press uh, found a few problems with those. Welcome back. Well, we're just five weeks away from the 2020 election and we've become no strangers to seeing the Duchess of Sussex using her platform to implore her fans to vote. But this week, we also saw Prince Harry join the conversation as we head closer to the election, uh, making his first comments um, about some of the important things to bear in mind um, as people sort of approach casting their ballot this year. Now, this was the first time that Harry has really ever spoken about uh, an election of any sort. But interestingly, he was doing this in the US and these comments took place on the Time 100 TV special, which aired on ABC. And as alumni of the Time 100 list, uh, they were able to give a special message to those being honoured this year, but also to those thinking about the upcoming election. We're just six weeks out from election day and today is National Voter Registration Day. Every four years we are told the same thing, that this is the most important election of our lifetime. But this one is. When we vote, our values are put into action and our voices are heard. Your voice is a reminder that you matter, because you do, and you deserve to be heard. This election, I'm not going to be able to vote here in the US. But many of you may not know that I haven't been able to vote in the UK my entire life. As we approach this November, it's vital that we reject hate speech, misinformation, and online negativity. So as we work to reimagine the world around us, let's challenge ourselves to build communities of compassion. Tonight reminds us of how important it is to watch out for each other, to care for each other, and to inspire each other. We are incredibly proud to join you in this historic moment in time. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Oma, what I found so interesting about this is that on one hand, this is sort of 
um, what I've come to expect from Harry and Meghan. They're very passionate, and Meghan in particular has spoken out against uh, injustice quite frequently before, and you know she's using this platform as a way to speak out for it again. And yes, she tied it into uh, the election, but it may be just that I'm so used to celebrities in the U.S. talking about getting out the vote. I don't know if it's similar in the, in the U.K. or not, but in the U.S. it seems like there's always these huge campaigns of celebrities urging people to vote, putting out very impassioned messages, and while maybe not saying it exactly who they're voting for, perhaps alluding to it or perhaps not, just urging people to vote one way or the other. I mean, there's always vote campaigns. If you remember, I'm going to date myself, but like 10 years ago or whatever, MTV had their big rock the vote campaign. Yeah. Um, on one hand, it didn't surprise me at all. So then, you know, living over here in London now, I was somewhat surprised about the reaction in the British press just about um, bashing them for getting involved in politics. And I don't think I, I, I realized the extent to which the royal family and politics are kept separate. You know, obviously there's historical reasons to keep the two separate, but um, to see the backlash in Britain was uh, surprising to me. Yeah, what's very interesting about this is that, you know, the royal family is famously apolitical mm -hmm. and for very good reason. They really stay away from any sort of partisan conversations. However, we have seen members of the royal family encouraging people to vote in the past. The Queen spoke to mm -hmm. the people of Wales in an upcoming election for them in 2003. And we also saw her making encouraging comments uh, when, this, when Scotland uh, were discussing their referendum. And so... Members of the royal family talking about voting and the importance of engaging in these subjects isn't actually anything new, but I think sometimes things get a little lost in translation. Now, when you listen to Harry and Meghan's comments, they actually make no comment whatsoever about which party to vote for. They're simply focusing on uh, engaging in positive and healthy conversation in the run-up to the election, being aware of misinformation, that's out there and, and of course using your votes uh, to sort of amplify your own voice and what you uh, want to see change in the world that you exist in and um, of course the way that's then translated in the tabloids here is often very different and I think for the couple one could argue they probably don't care at this point I think they mm. know that this is going to happen every time they talk about politics but they see the positive uh, in that and they see that the impact that they have I actually spoke with a source close to the Sussexes um, this week that, you know, just again emphasised that, you know, Harry's comments were not in any reference to any political party or candidates. It was instead him making a call for decency in how we engage with each other, interact and consume information, especially online, um, as we approach the upcoming US election. So he was very careful with his words. Yeah. You know, it is kind of interesting. When you read what they what they say or watch what they say, it's very clear they never endorse anyone. And it's really other people that are making the leap between their calls for decency and anti-hate speech into who they're going to vote for and being, you know, against Donald Trump. Um, and he was even asked about that at a press conference by a reporter, and Trump's response was um, fairly interesting as well, calling himself, you know, not a fan of Meghan's and sort of um, 
I found it fascinating that all of a sudden Harry and Meghan were brought up in a White House press conference, um, especially when, you know, we're dealing with so much other stuff in the U.S. right now. Uh, the fact that they made it to that level is really incredible when you think about it. Um, but again, they don't necessarily call for one candidate or another. Uh, but to, we should acknowledge that in the past, and correct me if I'm wrong, Omid, but um, Meghan has sort of talked to people about um, not liking Trump in office. And so maybe that's part of the reason people made this leap as well yeah i think you know one can't ignore comments made by megan in the past um but at the same time that was in a very different role and i think she mm -hmm. is clearly doing her best to adhere to um the values of the british royal family and and the sort of rules and protocol that comes with that um i laugh when you mention trump's comments on this because of course uh, the question was brought up by a reporter at a british tabloid who themselves had made the suggestion that they were encouraging people to vote for biden and of course it led to an answer that was very very predictable prince harry and Meghan markle uh chimed in on the u.s election and essentially encouraged people to vote for joe biden i to get your reaction to that I'm not a fan of hers, and uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish a lot of luck to Harry, because he's going to need it. Maybe we'll just let speak for itself, let it <laughs> hang out there. Um, back to Meghan and Harry. Um, you know, what I think is interesting, too, is that, you know, Meghan's been so outspoken, as we always talk about, about issues that are important to her. And um, this video wasn't the first time she's spoken out about voting. And uh, what was what was really sort of a, a great behind-the-scenes moment is when Gloria, Gloria Steinem was giving an interview and mentioned the fact that she's worked with Meghan to get the vote out. And I just imagine these two women together and uh, what a force that must have been in that room because uh, Gloria Steinem said the two of them made phone calls together, you know, put the, it was, were phone banking, getting people out there to cast votes. And um, what I loved was, I, I, I believe she said they just called people and were like, hi, I'm Meg, and then continued sort of with their get out the vote speech. <laughs> so I wonder if people got calls from this woman Meg and didn't even realize who they were talking to. It seems that the two have become quite fond of, 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 of each other. We, of course, saw them last month uh, sharing a conversation for Makers Women in which they spoke about the importance of voting and some of their sort of uh, Gloria Steinem's history in, in that, that, that feminist arena. Um, but she herself also sung the praises of Meghan on Access Hollywood this week, calling her smart, authentic, funny, political. Uh, and interestingly, she said that she feels that Meghan came home to vote, which is quite a powerful statement. But I think when we look at the work that Meghan's doing, I would say that probably was a driving force in there. Okay. Now, one place I didn't expect to see the Duchess of Sussex this week was on America's Got Talent. <laughs> Not yeah, obviously I totally taking part. I totally missed this one, Omid. You just told me about it for the first time, and I, I can't believe I didn't even know. Yeah, this sort of flew under the radar. There was no announcement made by Meghan's team. It was very much a surprise for the evening. Uh, Wednesday <laughs> was the season finale of America's Got Talent, and uh, we saw Archie Williams, a 59-year-old singer from Louisiana, as one of the finalists. Uh, Harry and Meghan are actually no stranger to these kind of TV shows. Harry is a big fan of The Voice. They have spoken about watching these yeah. kinds of things together in the past. <laughs> um, but Meghan definitely showed her colours on that evening. She filmed a, a short video message for Archie Williams, uh, wishing him the best for the finale. 
Now, Archie's story is actually really interesting. He was incarcerated for 36 years for a crime he didn't commit um, and has really, uh, one of the things that kept him going throughout that time in prison was singing and uh, gospel music, mm. soul music. And so he's really been able to share that um, and that journey on America's Got Talent. Um, it was a 24 year campaign by the Innocence Project um, that helped him finally find freedom. And so this message from Megan was a huge surprise to everyone on the evening, but uh, I think it just goes to show that Harry and Meghan really have this opportunity to kind of do whatever they want at the moment. You know, there's no sort of like 20 miles of protocol to run through before they actually get to Well, that's what I was just about to ask. That... Yeah, it seems like this is something that is outside the realm of sort of a normal royal shout out. And it is sort of case in point, like you're always saying, they can just do things now and not have the bureaucracy tied up anymore. Exactly. Um, and we are seeing quite a lot of members of the royal family on TV at the moment. Much was made out of Harry and Meghan's Netflix deal. But uh, given the news this week about Prince Charles and Prince William, it kind of seems like everyone is at it, Maggie. I know. Well, this was, I mean, this is kind of going along with what they've always been doing as, as well when it comes to uh, focusing on the environment. But now we're going to see them kind of um, putting that passion to the, to the well, small screen. That's what TV is called, right? The small screen as well. And also <laughs> the alternative small screen, which is the Internet, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Prince Charles showed his very progressive colors on Thursday when he launched a web platform for short films focused on climate change solutions. And this is actually a platform that's curated by the Prince. It's called the RETV channel, and it aims to combat the spread of misinformation on everything from the coronavirus to climate change. And alongside that, interestingly, he also rolled out a six step plan aimed at putting the world on better footing to fight global warming. It's a pretty interesting list. Uh, first on that list, he urged national leaders and businesses to embrace carbon pricing and end perverse fossil fuel subsidies. Um, but he also called for the scale up of carbon capture and storage technology, the expansion of a global carbon offset market, and the creation of an ecosystem services market, which puts a higher value on preserving nature. So this was a really special moment for him. And I think, you know, as someone that has really advocated for environmental issues since it was definitely not cool in the 70s and he faced a lot of uh, controversial commentary at the time, um, it shows that it, it was worth sticking out for. Yeah, you know, kind of, what I love about this new venture in particular is that I think that it might might surprise a lot of people. You know, it's no surprise Char Charles is older. He's not one of the, the young royals that often get a lot of attention. But here mm. he is taking on challenges that are often uh, led by young people. You know, it's a very youth-led movement when it comes to climate change and taking action uh, on those issues. So not only is he sort of breaking the stereotype there, but he's been doing it for a long time. As you mentioned, he was doing this for decades. And so it's still a passion of his. And then with this project in particular, he's also kind of, you know, bucking stereotypes because he's going to the internet. He's launching this um, digital channel, which most people would say, oh, it must be a young tech startup. And then you look at who, you know, <laughs> who's part of the person behind it. And it's sort of a fun surprise. 
Absolutely. Well, like father, like son, Prince William also announced a documentary this week, a TV project, so not online. Um, but this was uh, obviously announced on the first day of Climate Week. Um, it's a new documentary featuring William called A Planet for Us All. It was filmed over two years, so you've probably heard about this before. In fact, the palace have sort of given us updates along the way, um, but it sees William uh, championing global action on conservation and climate change. Um, but some real sort of personal moments in the mm. preview that ITV, the network that it's airing on in the UK, released this week, uh, he spoke about that really the importance that he feels to uh, create a better world for George, Charlotte and Louis to live in. I've always loved nature. Up there. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Brilliant. But fatherhood has given me a new sense of purpose. Now I've got George, Charlotte, and now Louis in my life. Your outlook does change. You want to hand over to the next generation the wildlife in a much better condition. What I think is amazing, Omen, is that uh, they've been f part making this documentary for so long, and uh, it shows how much work goes into this and how long it's been something that he cares about as well. You know, another big uh, moment in this documentary is when he sets up um, some of his work in the illegal wildlife trade as well, which you also know is something he's passionate about. And so um, seeing it come to the screen like this in a documentary, I'm, I'm excited to watch it in full because I think not only will, you know, hopefully it'll raise awareness and we'll learn a lot about these important issues, but also we'll sort of get some behind the scenes moments with him where it really shows uh, why he's dedicating all of this time. You, know, you mentioned he's doing this for his kids. And so hopefully we, we see a little bit more of that, see the personal angle of, of why this topic in particular is so important to him. Mm. I'm, go I'm gonna circle back actually to our comments on the cost of royal tours. Well, um, are you doing a full loop right now? <laughs> earlier in the show. Bring it back, <laughs> bring it home, Omid. Well, I just, I'm just going to ask a question. I'm going to open it up to you guys listening. Are documentaries the new royal tours? Is that how we continue to amplify the message of members of the royal family without the costs that come with it? Well, it sounds like a nice open-ended question. <laughs> Uh, speaking of questions, you guys have been sending them in thick and fast. Um, Maggie and I are going to run through them all next episode. Um, so if you do have any burning royal questions, uh, send them over to myself at Scobie or at Maggie Rooley on Twitter. Just use the hashtag TheAirPod and uh, we'll definitely add it to the list. Uh, Maggie, it's the end of another week. Oh, it's always a, for... always a pleasure and a, a hoot getting to catch up with you, Omid. <laughs> I told you to put your American hat on for our vote talk this week. You can oh, take yeah. it off How now. How do I do? <laughs> America! Put my, my cowgirl hat on. I think you're I really a woman embrace of the world, my roots, Maggie. Omid. You're a woman of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm authentic. <laughs> we'll give right, my love guys. to Yoshi. Thanks for joining us again this week. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you next Friday. Bye.